We continue in the book of Genesis, and now picking up at the 17th chapter. As we do so, I invite you not only to turn with me to Genesis 17, but also to Colossians chapter 2. To Genesis 17, then also, if you will, to Colossians chapter 2. We'll start with the passage in Genesis. I made the point to you before that um, though this history is ancient, in fact, its application is as modern as the time on your watch uh, right now. God covenanted with Abram, not only for him, but for his offspring as well, among whom the scripture teaches us we are counted, we who believe. God gives to Abram a sign and seal of this covenant now in Genesis 17. But I ask you, is there such a sign and seal of that covenant that continues? I say, is there a sign and seal of that covenant today? And if so, what form does that sign and seal take? Well, to the scripture we go, but first to prayer. Our Father in heaven, you have made an everlasting covenant with our father Abraham, which covenant remains today, and by which covenant we ourselves have been brought into your kingdom. Now we pray, our Father, that uh, this covenant-keeping God, that you will send your spirit mightily to illumine the word to us that he once inspired in the writing of it as he carried your servants along to write these things. And as we hear these words, let us hear not the voice of man, our Father, but the voice of God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 17, we begin at verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh 
an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now jump with me to 2100 years of history to the prison cell from whence the Apostle Paul writes to the Colossian Christians whose uh, church has uh, apparently been infiltrated by some false teachers who have convinced many that in order to be saved, they must be physically circumcised. Not much different, uh, by the way, from what we heard last week, uh, had infiltrated Galatia. Well, Paul tells them, as he did the Galatians, that this is patently false. But in an engaging way, as we've come to expect from the great apostle, he uses the weight of his enemy's argument to throw them saying to the Christians at Colossae, essentially, you're already circumcised. Circumcised, that is, in the way that really matters. Colossians 2, we begin at verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him... The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. How could we have known the wonders about which we sang with those words on our lips in children's Sunday school class? Or how could we appreciate the great magnitude of those truths expressed in that simple children's song? Father Abram had many sons, and I am one of them. Around 4,000 years ago, God called a man out of a pagan culture and nation to make covenant with him. He chose him only because of his grace and love and mercy to save him. That name of that man, of course, you know, we've been studying him for weeks, is Abram. And we know that it was by grace through faith that he was saved because we read as much just a few weeks ago in Genesis 15, which Paul confirms in Romans 4. Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And we're saved the very same way. The very same salvation by God's grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone. The saving relationship that God has made with us, he made in the form of a covenant. 
But not just any covenant. God entered with Abram into an everlasting covenant. It was, and it still is, a covenant that extends not only to Abram's natural descendants, his children by flesh, but to his spiritual descendants as well. For generation upon generation upon generation, to the nations that God promised would spring from him. In fact, for that very reason, the scripture calls us in this room who believe, calls us the children of Abraham. That is who we are. That is what the scripture says we are. And so rightly our children sing, I am one of them, and so are you. We are, says Paul to the Galatians, Abraham's offspring. But not only are we are his offspring, says Paul, we are, according to Galatians 3, heirs according to the promise. Now here's the question. According, we are heirs according to what promise? This promise uttered by God to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Now, as if that were not wonderful enough, as if Abram had not been blessed to the full by God's promise, he also added a sign and a seal to that promise to be the visible demonstration and guarantee of his promise. Verse 10, this is my covenant. Notice how emphatic God is about the importance of the sign and seal. He says, this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Now this whole idea of a sign and seal um, as Paul will add later, uh, seal, is not so terribly difficult for us to understand, really. Many of you are uh, married in this room. You have made a covenant with your spouse. You have promised faithfulness to him or to her until uh, your death or his. And it was enough for you to make that promise, wasn't it? That was enough. The promise was the promise, and it was to be kept. It was a vow, and of course it, it was. But that's not all you did. You went on and did something else. Okay, men, you're rushing to the kiss. I, I know that. But before you kissed her, you put on her finger a ring. You gave it to her as the sign and seal by way of illustration, of course, of your covenant with her, of the covenant of your marriage. Well, so God did with Abraham. Now, he didn't put a ring on his finger. He did something else. He did something far more significant, something far more, I almost said painful, permanent, something far more significant. 
he chose circumcision as the sign. How we might ask, why didn't God just put a ring on Abram's finger or something easier, something nicer, anything in fact more pleasant than this and less bloody? We don't know. We don't know the answer completely anyway, but we do know this. In the Bible, circumcision represents cleanliness. As the foreskin was cut and rolled away, it was a picture of the rolling away of filth. It was the outward sign of the inward cleansing, the spiritual cleansing. That is why God in the scripture reminded them time and time and time again. He did not want them simply to be circumcised outwardly in the flesh. He wanted them circumcised in their hearts and pure from the inside out. Because God looks on the heart. But notice this now. Not only was the sign applied to them, to Abram, to the adults, of the house, it was also applied to their children, as young as eight days old. We find that to be very, very significant. Now, our Baptist brothers and sisters uh, point out to us quickly that only the males were circumcised, and it was only to them that this sign was applied. And yes, we must acknowledge, of course, that it was applied only to the males, and that for a very unmysterious reason. You can't circumcise girls. It's anatomically impossible, not in this way. But that did not mean, therefore, that only half of Abram's children, the males, were truly the children of Abraham, while the other half, the females, remained excluded from the covenant simply because of their sex and their inability to be circumcised. God's promise was to male and female alike. Remember, too, now, that only the males were required to participate in the Passover and other pilgrimage feasts. Only males, as a rule, are addressed in the wisdom literature. For example, <coughs> blessed is the man who does not walk in the way of the wicked. Only males are addressed in the Ten Commandments when they are specific. It says, do not covet your neighbor's wife. It says nothing about coveting your neighbor's husband. It was only men who attended the first Lord's Supper and nowhere in the New Testament does it explicitly tell us that women are to participate. But none of us is about to say for one moment that for those reasons, women are therefore excluded from the people of God, nor that they are to be considered second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. You see, one must accept and either accepts or doesn't that the generic masculine in the scripture reflects an inclusive understanding of the people of God. Men bringing with them their wives and their daughters and their children so that fathers and sons in Proverbs clearly applies also to mothers and daughters, parents and children. If not, <coughs> one has 
huge problems all over the scripture. And the truth be told, this was not nearly such a big deal among American evangelicals before political correctness hijacked the English language and swept even into the church, teaching us in yet another way, even if subtle, that the Bible's own language must be bigoted and misogynistic, describing us, for instance, not in the modern's terms, humankind, but as mankind, or even just man. Yet there is this obvious difference between epochs before and after Christ. Circumcision was performed on males only, on, uh, while baptism is performed on both sexes. But notice now carefully that nowhere in the New Testament is this ever a big deal at all. No attention is ever drawn to this fact. <laughs> it does not indicate any significant change being introduced. Of, of course, the females had always been included in the covenant by extension. Their fathers, their husbands, which is why Israel as a whole in the scripture, males and females, both were described as the circumcision. The circumcised. Now enough about that. Clearly the covenant with Abram included both the adults and the children, infants from the very headwaters of their lives. So this much is certain. God entered into an everlasting covenant with Abraham under which God saved Abram by grace alone, through faith alone, applied circumcision as a sign and seal to him of that salvation, that cleansing from sin, and then applied that sign also to the infants of the covenant home. Now, had you or I lived in the day of Abram or David's day or Malachi's day, we would have ceremoniously circumcised our children. Another reason, by the way, that I'm so glad to be a minister after the coming of Christ and not uh, before. Uh, yet before or after, either one, whether circumcision or baptism, it is certainly, <laughs> it is a great and wonderful heritage to have been marked out as a member of the covenant from our very earliest of days. Now, of course, so far I've been begging the question, haven't I? Is baptism the New Testament form of circumcision? Well, this we know. Christ commanded us to baptize. He sent his disciples into the world to proclaim the gospel, to make disciples, and to baptize them. But why baptism? Is it necessary to be baptized in order for a person to be saved? Can someone go into heaven without being baptized? Of course they can. Abram was justified before he was circumcised. And so, in the Lord's providence, may we be justified before being baptized. But yet there remains in the scripture this urgency to baptism, this terrible importance 
just as there was an urgency about circumcision. It is commanded by God to be done. When someone believes in the Lord, water is to be applied to that person in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Why? As a symbol, as a sign, and as a seal that he is washed from his sins. He is cleansed. It is an outward symbol, sign, seal, of an inward reality. Just like circumcision was a sign of something greater than itself, so baptism is a sign of something greater than itself. But why water? Why water? We asked about circumcision a few moments ago, why circumcision? Now we ask, why water? Well, because in God's creation and providence, water stands for something always has. Whether you are in the darkest jungles of Africa or in the frozen tundra of the Arctic, water is used to cleanse. Water is used to clean. And so baptism, like circumcision of old, is the same demonstration, or rather demonstrates the same thing, something greater than itself, of the washing away of sin, of cleansing. Arise and be baptized and wash your sins away. Calling on his name, scripture says in Acts 22. Just as water washes the outside, so the Holy Spirit washes the inside. He saved us, writes Paul to Titus. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Baptism means being set apart as well. It means that you are distinct, you are separate from the world, from the unbaptized, unwashed world. But in this, again, it is no different from circumcision in the old epoch. In fact, it's to be considered to, in fact, to be considered a part of the people of God, it was required. It was required, not only of the Father, but of the whole household. Now, here's the question. Is baptism today for the entire family, even the little ones, as circumcision was before? Well, we go to the scripture and we find that as people were converted, they were not only baptized in that first generation of Christians, they were baptized and their families were too, their whole households. Lydia, a businesswoman from Thyatira, we read in Acts, believed the gospel and Paul baptized her and her household. She was baptized, says the writer of Acts, and her household as well. Likewise, the Philippian jailer believed and his household was baptized. In 1 Corinthians, Paul speaks of baptizing individuals, yes, and also baptizing Stephanus's household. Now again, some will tell us that we cannot prove that there were children in those households. But we find that argument to be special pleading 
to say that though household after household after household were baptized, no children were found among those families? Nor is it conceivable to us that a Jewish family in that day whose children were to be circumcised or had been circumcised in the covenant from their infancy were upon their conversion to Christianity now to consider their children outside of the faith that all along they had considered a part of it and therefore circumcised. Where they would have to ask is the grace in that. And the fact that scripture never once deals with that as a problem, which it most certainly would have been, bears eloquent witness to the fact that it was not a problem because they continue to include their children in the new just as they had before. God's covenant is a gracious covenant and the good news of this covenant with us in Christ spread. And as it did, its message was no less gracious and no less family, household, encompassing in that day than it was in Abram's day. In Genesis 17, yes, the sign has changed, but the meaning, the recipients, they remain the same. God's promise has not changed. It remains the same for the children of Abraham in this epoch as it did in the one before Christ's coming. God's promise has not changed for the simple reason that God has not changed. No wonder then that Peter at Pentecost should preach in Acts 2 of God's promise to you and to your children. You see, as someone has said, God always finishes what he begins. God always finishes what he begins. He keeps his vows. God fulfills his promises. He leaves no loose ends. The animal sacrifices of the Old Testament found their fulfillment in his great sacrifice on the cross. The Passover deliverance from the angel of death, our Lord himself on the very night of the Passover celebration showed with bread and wine was but a picture of himself and the great deliverance, the great deliverance through the Lamb of God. And in the very same way, baptism now fulfills and takes the place of circumcision. Once we circumcised, now we baptize, which is why Paul in a single breath in Colossians speaks of the two and identifies them together. The signs have changed, but the meaning remains gloriously the same. And this is why Paul assured those Colossian Christians bedeviled by those false teachers and their teaching that they must be physically circumcised. I say that is precisely why Paul said to those Christians that they have been circumcised in the way that really matters when they were baptized. God's covenant with Abraham his everlasting promises, though ancient, are always modern. 
still signified, still sealed to the children of Abraham and to their children too, and to their children's children on the basis of the very same grace, the very same love and mercy, though ancient ever new to us and to our children after us. His covenant made to a thousand generations, he says, of those who love him and who keep his commandments and seal to us and seal to our children in our baptism and in theirs. Father Abraham has many sons, and I am one of them, and so are you. And children, so are you. So let us praise the Lord. Amen.